This podcast is supported by Audible. To find out how you can get a free audiobook of your choice just for trying Audible, check out audibletrial.com slash lead. Hi, this is Jody Thompson, and you're listening to Leader Lab. So who are you and what do you do? My name is Jody Thompson, and I am the co-founder of Culture RX and the co-creator of the Results-Only Work Environment. Um, my first book came out in 2008, Why Work Sucks and How to Fix It. And just recently, in February, our second book, Why Managing Sucks and How to Fix It. And, and Jody holds the, the record, in my own opinion, for the most, uh, the, the most awesomest. I'm going to go ahead and make that a category. Most awesomest titles for books ever, um, both Why Work Sucks and Why Managing Sucks. But I, I feel like I want to kind of backtrack for a little bit. I, I, I've got some stuff I want to get into this new book of, of Why Managing Sucks. But first, I kind of want to just talk about the row, the results-only work environment. Tell me a little bit about um, it and also how it kind of came about and what led you to develop it. So results-only work environment is a very interesting uh, proposition. Callie and I, uh, my partner Callie Ressler and I, uh, started this back in um, 2004 when we were at Best Buy. We like to say that we were in the bowels of corporate America. And we were looking around and we were saying, you know, people want flexibility. People are asking for Fridays off or to leave early or come in late. But as we were kind of looking at what that means, we realized what people really want is they want complete control over their time. They want to be treated like adults, and they want to be able to use their common sense to come and go in a way that makes sense. And flexibility doesn't do that. So flexible work is a managed program where I have to ask permission to do something different than work 8 to 5 Monday through Friday. So we started to experiment back in 2004 with what would it be like to give people this definition of work, which would be each person is free to do whatever they want, whenever they want, as long as the work gets done. Well, you can imagine that created quite a stir. And the reason it created a stir is because managers were saying, well, what what is the work? How how am I going to know they're getting the work done? And we were like, dude, how do you know now? So we realized that we found, you know, we got to this thing, David, where it's like people don't really understand, they don't know what the work is and how to measure it. And so it was easier to do time, come in, put in time, plus physical presence, and hope that results happened. We said, enough of that. Tracking time, physical presence, all that is irrelevant. Let's focus on results. Let's manage the work and let the people manage themselves. And so that's how it was born. And over, you know, a few years' time, we got more and more clear about how to disrupt the inertia of work culture and get it to start evolving and, and catching up with uh, the 21st century. And, and I love that equation of work Work does not equal time, or performance does not equal time times the, the amount of hours that you're there, et cetera. There's, there's actually some, some outcome you're looking to get, and why not manage to that, right? And, and there are some, some organizations, I think, kind of get this. I, I grew up in the sales environment and in the pharmaceutical world, and it was kind of obvious because it was sort of like we don't necessarily care how many hours you work or how many doctors you see. We care about what your numbers are. 
Um, but there, and then there are other jobs where it's too difficult, I guess, to find specific numbers or metrics or ways to judge results. And so we just default into this, well, how many hours are you here? Are you here five minutes before the boss and five minutes after? Then you must be a hard worker. Right, right. And that whole point of, well, it's just too hard because I'm a knowledge worker. It is a bunch of crap. Everything can be measured. Yes, it's a lot harder. I mean, we know it's easy to measure when people come in. And it's funny because if you're not measuring your work, if you're not figuring out how to measure your value, you can at least talk about how many hours you work. Well, oh, I'm so busy. I worked 60 hours last week, and everybody's trying to out-time each other. Everybody's trying to get in the parking ramp, you know, before anybody else. They're trying to get to their cube to show how dedicated they are. And what they do then is they default to that as a measure of work, like we just talked about, instead of really getting clear on what it is that their value is in measuring that, and then all that other crap doesn't matter. It's irrelevant when you come in, when you leave, or if you're even touching the office that day. It doesn't matter. No, absolutely. And, and that led to um, the, the first book, Why Work Sucks and, and How to Fix It. But now we're, we're shifting gears, kind of going up a level. So we've looked at why work sucks for the people being managed. But now we're looking, ironically, at the people that it felt like had the most resistance to a row in the beginning, the managers, but it turns out that, you know, their, their job managing, uh, as it's traditionally practiced, does kind of suck. Um, not, that, not that it's not as it should be practiced, but as it's traditionally practiced. It does kind of suck. And, and the row has something to do about that, too. But first, let's talk about this. Why, why does managing suck? <laughs> so that's, that's a great question, and that's the whole purpose of the book. Because the thing is, is people get to the management ranks, and they think, oh, I finally got to be a manager, right? It's going to be so great. And somebody said to me one day at Best Buy, just wait until you manage people. You think you have trouble now. You think you're, you have headaches now. And I'd be thinking, no, managing, you know, that'd be so great, right, be a manager of people. Well, here's why it sucks. Because the second you become a manager, all of a sudden you become a parent. And it's not because you want to be their parent. It's because culturally things are set up. The system is set up in, in a paternalistic top-down nature. So all of a sudden, you have your people all asking you permission for things. Is it okay if I leave early? Is it okay if I come in late? Is it okay if I take a longer lunch today? And you're like, I don't really care. Just get the work done. But they're asking you these questions all the time because the culture says, if I do something different, then I, I look like a blacker. I'm off culture. But if I ask your permission, then I, I can say, yeah, but my boss let me. Or yeah, but my boss said it was okay. And so now you're in this system where you want to you wanna focus on results, but all this stuff is in your way, all these cultural things, these behaviors that you're, you're just caught in this old-fashioned system, that's why it sucks. And you really want to be a coach and a mentor. You want to be able to help people succeed, but you're, you're stuck, like I said, in an, in an old system, and you can't figure out how to get out of it. Yeah, and I, I think it's interesting that as soon as you get into that, even the first uh, level of management, suddenly the idea that you're being held accountable for results is, is much more tangible. It's much more present. And yet when you look at how you sort of treat your people, you, what you want to do is coach them and help them get better results, help them develop themselves and perform better, et cetera. But yet the default of what you get trained into doing is actually not monitoring results, which you're being held accountable to, and what are your results except for the composite of all of their results. Um, but you think oh, the, the default way to sort of measure how hard are they working is, is how often are they there. And well, yeah, and then you get pressure from other people like other managers. 
So, like, let's say you let your people be more free and work from different locations. Then your other manager is going, where are your people? How come your people are never here? And you're like, because they're out getting results. And they go, yeah, but where are your people? How come your people aren't here? So you get that constant pressure because the culture is trying to keep itself stable. And it's not looking good. If you let your people work all over the place, then I have to let my people. So, you know, get your people back in here. Right. It's, it's sort of the, when, I, when I was younger, somebody told me about the, uh, I think they called it the crab in the basket theory, which is that you could put a bunch, I, I come from New England, so these kind of things are, are normal, apparently, crab metaphors. But I guess the idea was that you could put a bunch of, you could put a bunch of crabs, you could put them into an open basket, and they would not escape, because what would happen is one of them would attempt to escape, it would get all the way to the top, and inevitably, one of the others in the basket would pull it back down, because if it escapes, then it's not part of the community, so we need to pull it back down in, and so you can always just sort of rely on crab in the basket, I, I literally now call it crab in the basket theory, um, to pull people back into that sort of status quo of, well, if you guys focus only on results, and, and God forbid you get good results out of that, then suddenly I have to change what I do, and it's a whole lot easier just to, you know, come in at 8 o'clock and look around and see how many people on my floor are at their desks. Exactly right. It, it's such a good analogy, but you're right. It's like, I don't look good if you start to do that. If your team starts to excel, you're making us all look bad. So stop. Come back in the basket. Mm-hmm. And it, it's both that. And you know what happens there, too, is that in these kind of environments, all the conversations become subjective instead of objective. So the conversations mm-hmm. aren't subjective about the work. All the conversations become about personal things. You know, why, why do you want to leave early? Well, I have a dentist appointment. Why do you want to come in late? Well, I want to take my daughter to school. And it becomes all this stuff that's irrelevant, but it becomes subjective because I might say, well, why can't you, you know, have somebody else take your daughter? Then I start to get into your personal crap, and that's not right either. So the conversations of work, the language of work isn't really about work. It's about everything else. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And, and you'd, you'd think that the shift to salary would have solved some of that because it would have made it like, look, we're not really keeping track, so if you need to, to do those sort of things. But yet suddenly we still treat it like, I mean, I, I remember when I, when I was growing up, I worked in a supermarket that was all hourly and everybody was judged hourly, and you had to have those conversations. And then you get out of right. the salary world and you find they're still there. It's the same conversation. No, even though, isn't that funny? Even I though mean, we have, I'm yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Or I was going to say it's so funny because it's it's like like I'll go into organizations where we do training, and they'll start talking about you know their exempt employees, so their salaries, and I'll I'll be talking about how it's not about time and you're, we're not measuring time and all that. They say yeah, but you know they still have to put in at least forty hours. It's like people's brains can't even get past it. It's like we're still making widgets. Or we're in a, you know, um, a retail environment where you have to track hours because you're non-exempt. They treat everybody the same way, and they're afraid. Like, if I, if I were to say, I got everything done in 25 hours, then they would say, well, then you need more work. Well, I don't want more work. So what you're doing is you're punishing me for being efficient. So next time you come over to me, I'm going to say I work 60 hours. Because if I say I work less than 40, it's just like this huge, like, cycle. And everybody's playing the game, and so nobody's – it's not that people are lying, but based on the culture, you can't tell the truth without getting dinged. 
there's a uh, there's an old play and it's a movie it's an old movie too from like 1964 called How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. Have you ever seen it? Yes. Yep. There's there's a lovely scene from that movie that I think about basically both times I read both of your books and think about this whole um, row versus tradition uh, sort of debate yeah, as if to why it should be a debate, but that's another issue. Um, I keep right. thinking back to the scene where that the main character comes in about 45 minutes early on a Saturday and spreads a bunch of cigarette butts around his desk and ruffles papers and ruffles his shirt and then pretends to be asleep <laughs> at his desk. Knowing that at 9 a.m. the boss is going to come in and see him asleep at his desk, and then he'll be able to say he was trying to get extra work done. Uh, it's wonderful. <laughs> I, that... Isn't that weird? Mm, yeah, no, absolutely. But but yet you you watch it. I, I literally I watched it again uh, about a couple weeks ago, and I literally was thinking, wow, what's really sad is that this was filmed in 1964, and the majority of it is still true. And uh, nothing still is viable career tactic. Right, and what we used to do was we used to put our jacket, you know, leave our jacket at, at our on our work at our workstation, so hanging over our chair. So, like, if you're going to leave, let's say you're going to leave early, you put your coat over your chair so it looks like you're really still there, but just somewhere else in the building, and then you have another coat out in the car. Mm. And so yeah. you put on a different coat when you get out there, and it's it's all these same games, like you said, it was in 1964. That's what we keep telling people. Just because you're letting somebody be flexible, it's not innovation. Flexibility has been around since 1938. So, you know, to say that, look at how progressive we are because we're, we're allowing some of our people to work in another location, it's just like, come on. We, can't we move beyond this? Can't we move beyond treating people like children and, you know, giving them hall passes? And, no, and, and, and then all, you know, you know not, nobody focusing on why they were even hired in the first place. Yeah, and clearly we can't because crab in the basket theory, right? Uh, but <laughs> exactly. some some crabs have escaped and have gotten out, and there have been organizations that have truly kind of embraced the innovation that is the, the row. Tell me a little bit about some, some maybe some of your favorite examples of companies that, that instituted this um, and have, are seeing drastic results. Well, it's it's been interesting because – we have been in so many different industries now. So results-only work environment is a, it's something that changes in how you look at life all the way around because now you're on a different side. Before it was other people are controlling you 40 hours a week, and now you're controlling your whole life. And so we've been in a daycare or child care center, uh, manufacturing, um, education, you know, it's not just an office idea because what it is is it's more of a basic need that all human beings have to be free and have control over their time. So when we go into organizations, big and small, uh, a lot of our clients that we train are uh, small, say 50 people or less in their organization. That works really well. We also do uh, get into some of the bigger organizations. But here's what happens. When people go through training, First of all, they start out and they're completely in shock because they can't even understand how this most wonderful thing they've ever heard of could ever be coming into their area. Mm-hmm. Then they go through the training and they get all the sort of the tools and ways to think about this and we set them off to you start evolving. What happens is like a hockey stick effect. The first week or so, people are trying to sort of, they're taking our strategies, but they're feeling it out to make sure that they actually can get out of the basket without somebody pulling them back in. And then the whole 
spirit of the organization starts to go up. The whole team, like people start to elevate up. And what happens is productivity starts to go up right away. And the reason that happens is because people have only one thing that they need to get clear on, and that's measurable results. Then they figure out, okay, I just, I'm in the most utopian thing I've ever been in in my life. I will do anything to keep my job. So I'm going to really make sure I show my manager that I'm achieving results. I'm going to work better with my team members. I'm going to make sure I move information along. I'm going to hit my deadlines because now I have freedom. So it's interesting. We were, um, we were at this one organization that had, um, we did a 360-person team. It was an IT department. And the department was at a large um, healthcare organization. And when we started and we got them, you know, through training and they started to move forward, some interesting things happened that we didn't anticipate. One thing was overtime costs went down 50%. People didn't want to do overtime anymore. Before, they would do overtime because they're miserable and they want more money. Well, all of a sudden, they had a life, so that was more valuable. Paper usage went down 50%. I went there one day, and usually I couldn't find a parking spot. I had to park like 70 miles from the door. I went in, and there were like five cars in the parking lot. And the work was happening faster, better than it ever had happened before. We also went in, and people in this organization got paid extra money if they worked after 5 o'clock. It, uh, it was very weird. They got an extra stipend of some sort. Well, when we're doing the training, we're saying everybody's free and this and that. The managers were really worried because they said, well, everybody's going to want to work after five now and make more money. Well, in the training, somebody raised their hand up, one of the, not a manager, just one of the people and said, well, we don't need that anymore. We don't need to that extra, you know, off hours money anymore. That doesn't make sense. And it was so cool to watch how people opened up and understood the sort of the, the, the gravity of all this and what it would mean for people's lives. I mean, everything we see out there, it's obviously the same stuff, productivity up, um, engagement up, uh, customer satisfaction scores up, uh, turnover numbers are down, but then involuntary turnover numbers go up because you have to perform, and people that are just putting in time and not performing can't hide anymore. It shines a big spotlight on that. Yeah, and and that's a huge distinction between that voluntary and involuntary turnover, and and. Uh, the, the people who don't want to bring the results, uh, self, either self-selecting out or, or, as I like to say, being invited to be successful elsewhere. <laughs> I love that. I have to tell you this other story. I think your listeners will like this. We were in a, um, I won't name the name, but we were in a government agency. And when we started with this team, they were backlogged. They had to do applications for, you know, the public to get um, assistance. And they were backlogged by 1,500 applications. Hmm. And the people that worked there, there were six of them, they said, oh, we need six more people. We need to double our team. We'll never get it done. We moved them into the results-only work environment mindset with the tools that they needed to focus on results. They went from 1,500 backlog to 132 in three weeks, same six people. So it's hmm. not that we're... We're looking at it the wrong way. We're looking at capacity the wrong way. We're looking at, you know, um, managers controlling process and controlling how people do the work as, as how it needs to be. When you give people a goal, when you say, guess what, people, 
when you go home every night, you're leaving 1,500 people without food, without somewhere to sleep, and without, you know, medical care because you're, you have it, but you're leaving that out there. Your people aren't, you're, that's your job to take care of that. That's what you need to focus on. No child on the street tonight. Mm-hmm. And when they started to connect to something real, they all worked together in a whole different way. And it didn't have to be the manager telling them how to do it or saying, you can, you know, come in late and you can leave early. And you, it's none of that. The team figures that out. Based on reaching the outcome of the work, it really binds the team closer together. And it's not about proximity. It's about a common purpose that they feel like they own. The manager doesn't own it. They own it. Yeah, no, I think I think that's and, and you know it seems to be the running theme this year already is uh, in a lot of the interviews that we've done, a lot of the authors that we've had on the on the show, it comes back to that idea of purpose. We keep talking about that idea of purpose, is it? And really, that's um, that's why people fundamentally why people work. Even if you if you won the lottery and you had a hundred million dollars, you would still be engaged in something. And whatever that something is, that's what we call work. It's not the place that we show up and do that something. It's the something itself. Yeah, that that purpose thing, I have to tell you, as long as you're in a paternalistic structure, you'll never find that purpose. You think you will, but I have to tell you, we tell this to people all the time. Let's say I get really excited about what I'm doing, and all of a sudden I start feeling that purpose that you're talking about, and I feel like I have this motivation against an idea. And I know that I need to, let's just example, I have to really have some time to think about it. And I, I, I just want to be at home tomorrow. Now I have to go ask permission. Then my boss says, well, you know, tomorrow's not a really good day. I know your idea is really great. That's really, really cute. But, you know, we really need everybody in the office. Hmm. This is the kind of stuff that erodes our ability to connect to those types of things that give us, you know, make us feel worthwhile and, and purposeful and have purpose and all that. It's impossible when you're when you have to be a Captain May I every day, and there's somebody with holding their watch and saying, "What time did you get in?" And did you leave early again yesterday? That that's the problem. We're we're not focusing on what matters. We're 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 focusing on what doesn't matter. No, absolutely. And if let me let me ask you this: as as we kind of bring it to a close, I think we've sold the idea of why why work sucks, why managing sucks, because it's devoid <laughs> of that purpose, it's devoid of that results, um, and a, and a row can help with that. But if, if I'm interested in getting started in this, what's what's the first step I can take? I mean, besides besides call you guys up and bring Culture RX to my organization, what's the first <laughs> way I can kind of? Well, that's what you need to do, David. Okay, <laughs> 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 let's say it like it is. Um, you know. That's one of the reasons we wrote the book, Why Managing Sucks, because it has a lot of tips in it, and it gives managers some simple steps to start taking, like immediately, because we know that in order to start um, moving the conversation forward and starting to change behavior, it's sometimes even just the little things that people can start doing. So the book, you know, at the end of every chapter, there's tips. Um, we've got, obviously, you read the book, so we've got um, case studies in there, other people talking about it. And um, so what people, I mean, I would say if you wanted a bunch of those tips, read, read the book because yeah, you'll get it. those things. Uh-oh, did I just sell the book? <laughs> yeah, I, oh, 
Oops, oops, we plugged the book. Oh. No, you, you oh. it's, it's, it's packed with some great case studies. It's packed with, and some, some great, uh, wonderful things of advice, or wonderful tips of advice <laughs> that I love. The, the chapter headings alone are hilarious to me, uh, like smart goals equals senseless minutia against random tasks. And, and oh, perhaps hey. my favorite, sorry? Go ahead. I was just say, uh, perhaps my favorite, 24-7 kicks 9 to five's ass. Um, if, you, if you want chapters like that, advice like that, check out why managing sucks for sure. Um, let me, let's shift for a little bit. I want to talk um, in, in addition about the book, but also about you. What are you reading right now? What, what ideas are you playing around with in your head? <laughs> I'll tell you the book I just got done with. I just got done reading um, Killing Kennedy. Hmm. And, you know, it's kind of, you know, that's not about anything that I do really, but, um, you know, sometimes I like to just immerse my brain, kind of rest it, and look at something totally different. But in terms of sort of what I look at, um, when I'm out there looking at, I like to look at the conversation about um, sort of how people are managing the challenges that we're having based on uh, the culture. You know, it's funny. I've been looking at stuff even across Canada and the U.K. and Australia and everybody talking about um, how different we all are. But there's this common thread, um, you know, in the midst of all human beings that's really pretty standard. And that's that we want to be happy and we want to... um, be able to drive our own destinies. And so reading about those sorts of things really jazzes me up because I think it's very appropriate for the times. And um, I think there's a lot of suffering going on out there. And we, we, can, we can do better as a society. We can just do better. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and as has been our sort of unofficial theme for this uh, this year on the Leader Lab podcast, it's, it starts with that purpose focus. And, and when you embrace that purpose focus, you can't help but focus on results and focus on uh, adding that to the work environment and not just keeping track um, of hours worked uh, and, uh, and how tired you look and whether or not your, your coat is on the chair uh, when you leave the office. If you want to learn more about that, if you want to learn more about why managing sucks, why smart goals suck, um, and why the results-only work environment can help with that, pick up a copy of Why Managing Sucks or um, Why Work Sucks or, or both. Pick up both of them and learn how to fix uh, both of those things. But Jody, thank you so much for joining us inside the Leader Lab today. Thank you. It was fun. 